All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Movie Talks and Chill. We are your hosts. I'm Tony Serrato. I'm Gavin Butts. And I'm Patrick Wall. And in this episode, we're going to be talking directors, and more specifically, favorite directors. But we're going to have director talk all around, uh, get our takes, feelings on it, and I'll uh, go ahead and kick it off here. Uh, so for me, um, I it's like Kevin all. Smith. <laughs> I had Spoiler no idea. Alert! Um, <clears throat> no, I, I appreciate all directors. Um, mm. Obviously, the big names are out there. You know, you get your Spielbergs, your Lucases, um, uh, M Night Shyamalama, Ding Dong. You know, <laughs> your, your, your Mel Brooks's, and yeah, I mean, there's your Robert Zemeckis. I mean, there's just John Carpenter. I, I could go on and on with this. Even Mel Gibson. Yeah, I know Mel Gibson. Yes, um, but for me, like I've always been more partial to. Appreciating the indie film market. <clears throat> I love all the big movies we've all talked about. I, I, I can name a million of them off, but uh, I like the indie film because much like the last episode we were talking about the 80s, it had to, it had to be dialogue and character driven. Like Indies don't really usually have a lot of special effects. Um, so one of my favorite indie directors who became a bigger director later is Kevin Smith. <clears throat> Spoiler alert, it was Kevin Smith. You're right, Patrick. Uh, oh, I know I was right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I like them, and I, I, I think I've actually said this exact same thing in another episode, but, you know, he started out with nothing. He put it all on the line. Um, he was just a guy who never made movies to uh, to adhere to an audience, so to speak. He wanted people to like it and wanted people to see it, but he wrote what he could relate to. <clears throat> so his first movie he did was Clerks, and... He went on, um, you know, sold his comic book collection and uh, took some money he had left over that was going to go to college because he started film school. Um, quit because he wasn't getting all out of it what he wanted. He thought he had enough, and then he took the rest of the money and put that into it. <clears throat> and he did it in a, it was a convenience store because that's where he worked. I mean, that's what he did for, for years. He worked in that convenience store, and he always said, you know, you can watch Die Hard, you can watch all this. Like, but I'm not a John McClane. I know this. He's like, I can't really relate to it. I can appreciate him. You know, it's like, you know, I don't have a lightsaber, you know, and I, I don't live in space or anything. So he's like, what is my life? Me and my friends, we talk, we hang around. And um, so he wrote about his life and his experiences. Obviously, some of it was fabricated <clears throat> or exaggerated, I should say. But he's like, just dealing with the customers. And, and he based the one character, which is <clears throat> Dante's character, is very much based off of Kevin Smith and Randall, the Randall character, real sarcastic one, um, is based off his friend Brian Johnson. They, they all did the show. Not Comic Jason Mewes. No, not Jason Mewes. <clears throat> Jason Mewes was actually based off Jason Mewes. Um, <laughs> he did a funny story about that. He's like, you know, he was the funny kid, and he's like, you know, as soon as he got to know him, he didn't like him at first when he first met him. It was uh, his friends, Brian Johnson and Walt Flanagan, introduced him to Jason Mewes. They're like, oh, you're going to love him. He's funny. He's funny. He does this. He's so goofy and he's funny. He's like, oh, because he was kind of territorial. He said, he's mm -hmm. like, I was their funny friend. <laughs> and he meets him and he finally said, you know, he shows up and he's like, we're working in a rec center because he worked in a rec center as well with his friend Brian and they're reading comic books. He said, Jason Mew kicks in the door and stuff and he's like, he just starts sucking off anything phallic. So he's like, you know, there's a pool cue. He's sucking it off. And this is sucking it off. And then he's like, he stops and there's an asterisk machine. It doesn't have the joystick. It has a rollerball. And he's like, just staring at it, figuring out what to do. And he's like, and he just shrugs his shoulders and starts going down on the rollerball. And he's like, this is a guy I can hang out with. Um, so when he wrote... Cocaine's <laughs> a hell of a drug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is when he was like way younger. and, and um, But he said, so he wrote the character of, of Jason Mewes, or Jay around Jason Mewes. And when he went and gave him the script, and he's like, I don't know if I can do this. He's like, but it's you. 
<laughs> and I, I may be getting sued from Kevin Smith. I'm literally repeating the exact story he told, but he's already told it to the public. So sorry, Kevin. Uh, love you, man. <clears throat> but he said that you know he wrote it. And he's like, I don't know if I can do it. He's like, but it's you. And he's like, well, he's like, snoogie bougie. Why would I say that? He's like, why do you say that? <laughs> so he had to spend weeks teaching Jay how to be Jay. He said. Um, <laughs> But, you know, he obviously blew up his career. You know, he did a bunch of other movies that, that what he called, like, the Jersey Chronicles or the Jersey films. Uh, you know, you have your Mall Rats, Chasing Amy, Dogma, um, Clerks 2, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Um, just recently did Jane Silent Bob reboot. Um, Which is hilarious. It is hilarious. Uh, the Probably the only reboot that I will ever appreciate and allow to happen, <laughs> in my opinion. But Because they make fun of how yes. it's a reboot. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that in reboots and remakes. Um so Go listen to it now if you haven't. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that's why I liked it. It said, you know, every movie he does, it's all dialogue. Obviously, when he did Jane Silent Bob and Dogma, you know, there was bigger budgets. He could do more special well, effect things. But I remember that was watching an interview with him, and he said he had a college friend, and they would always produce, be a producer for each other's movies. Scott Mosier. Yeah. That's still his producer to this day. So, when they were doing Clerks and Mallrats and all that, he was doing guerrilla filming where he was, like, going to Ace Hardware to try and jerry-rig to make the scene work. Mm-hmm. But I remember when they were doing Jay Inside and Bob Strike Back, he's like, oh, he was just throwing money at whatever problem we came across. Yeah. He was like, he loved it. <laughs> yeah, but when he got to that point, because he said the same thing, so they got to Chasing Amy, mm-hmm. and he's like, Clerks, he's like, you know, he went in and went to get the funding from the Weinstein Company uh, back when before all the bad stuff happened, but... Oh, it was still <laughs> happening. Well, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Before it came out, I should say. Yeah. sorry. Um, but he said, you know, he asked him for money. He's like, you know, I'll, you know how much do you need? He's like, 200000 Because he had just done uh, Mall Rats, which that was, like I believe, like a $6 million budget, maybe a little mm-hmm. bit more, but that was a bomb. It became a cult classic later, yeah. heavy on DVD sales, but it bombed in the theater. <clears throat> so they didn't make much money, so... They were starting to lose a little bit of faith about putting a lot of money into him, so he said, "Let's do Chase Gamey, very low budget movie." So he said he asked Weinstein for two hundred grand. He's like, "I'll give you two fifty. And he went to Mosher. And he's like, "Hey man," he's like, "How'd it go?" And Scott's like, "He's like, he's like, went really well." And he's like, "I asked him for a certain amount, <clears throat> he gave me more." And he's like, "Wow, man, you're really good at this." He's like, "How much you get?" He's like, two hundred fifty grand." He's like, Mosher's head just like dropped to the ground. He's <laughs> like, because he's like trying to make ends meet with it. And he's like, that movie almost killed him. He's like, he was like sleeping at a desk and stuff. And he's like, but then. When Jane Silent Bob, Shrek Becker, Dogma came out, and he's like, they had like multi million dollar budget. That's exactly what he said. He's just throw some money. He's like, hey, Scott, we got a problem. He's like, that's fine, man. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just take the credit card. Just go fix yeah, it. Yeah. I don't care. So he began. 17 boom mics. Got it. <laughs> but like guerrilla filmmaking, like you're talking about, in, in Clerks, they're near the end of the shooting, or when it last few days, they, they're, I believe he said his, his boom hole mm. got broke, or something happened to it, so they just use a hockey stick. Just tape the wiring i mean it's it's that's guerrilla filmmaking so for those of you who don't know what guerrilla filmmaking is give you a quick gist of it it's basically when you have nothing and you need to make the same look that a feature film can make or the best look close to it uh you just cut in you know make ends meet and uh you use pvc piping and a, a little mini chair and some uh rollers and you have a track and dolly uh you have a 
hockey stick instead of a boom pole. Um, you're basically just MacGyvering. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you're making the best out of everything. Uh, instead of good uh, professional lighting kit, you know, you get an umbrella attached to a construction light and put uh, wax paper in there. We were talking about that not that long ago. Um, inside, it diffuses it. So <clears throat> I myself have been a guerrilla filmmaker, so I would actually it'd be fun to do an episode on, on guerrilla filmmaking. But You would be talking for the entire <clears throat> hour. I've got two books on it. You can get the quick gist of it. So. All right, I don't mind watching movies have, as homework, well, right, but I'm not pictures? reading an instruction. Yeah, it does have pictures. But. All right, I'll talk on the pictures. <laughs> so, but anyway, so that's You guys can use my apartment, but I'm <laughs> going to be all playing video games during that episode. <laughs> so, yeah, he just went on and um, uh, did, then he went on and did what he called, like, the Great North, the Great White North Trilogy, or the or the Canadian Trilogy, and the third one still is a dub, but he did... Uh, that movie Tusk. We talked about that mm. for a minute about the guy, Jason Long being turned into a walrus. Yeah. I, I, uh, followed up with his sequel to it, or the second part of the trilogy, which was called Yoga Hosers, which starts. Which I really want to see. That looks very interesting. It's, I don't know. It's, Tusk just freaked me out. Yeah. I, I mean, well, this I one's completely different. <laughs> Yoga Hosers, and then he, the third one that isn't out yet is uh, Moose Jaws, and he said it's basically exactly what it sounds like. He's like instead of Jaws in the water, it's basically a moose, but like Jaws on land. <laughs> and don't wait until you're. You know, another thirty years to watch that one if it comes out. Be sixty-eight if I wait and see that. And if we're still sitting here doing this, <laughs> yeah, if we're still sitting in my shitty apartment recording this podcast thirty-four years from now, we've reached hey. five thousand episodes. <laughs> Patrick, you remember that time when uh, you told Tony that you had only thirty-one years watching the Daggum Jaws movie? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Twanger. Uh, you got older. Yeah, I did. <laughs> R.I.P. Tony. You're clearly dead at this point. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Totally <laughs> oh man. So you know that all that stuff's really good. But he did those movies. Um, he did some directing of movies that he didn't write, but mainly he sticks to writing, directing his own stuff. <clears throat> Went back to that with Jane Silent Bob reboot. Kind of got into it, but he did like movies like Red State, uh, Cop Out. So you know. Which I like Cop Out, but I think he hates that movie. He just didn't like working with Bruce Willis. It was he said it was the biggest headache he ever had. It was it was the most miserable he had been doing a film, he said. That sucks, because <laughs> I always wanted to like John McClane or Bruce yeah. Willis. Like I always thought, you let's go have a beer. I'm calling up Bruce Willis, but apparently he's like Chevy Chase or Jim Camry uh Jim Carrey. Absolute pile of shit. Like you never <laughs> want to like hang out with these people. Well no, Maybe personally, if you know him as friends, they might be different. But I heard working with Jim Carrey or Bruce Willis mm. or Chevy Chase, they are undirectorable. Yeah, or, they're just going to walk Russell on Crow. set, do whatever they want to do, and get the fuck off. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Well, Chevy Chase, especially, I've heard, I've heard horror stories about him. Not even directing, but just co co uh, yeah. acting with him. That's why they booted him off Community. <laughs> yeah. He was um, you, the director or the creator, Dan Harmon, was like, "I'm not. I'm done with you. Get off my show." And it took him a while to do that. Yeah. He was in, he, well, he, he was also him. really funny. In the first three seasons, mm-hmm. like, he was the comic relief, and he was just an old racist bastard. Yep. And you, they never centered plot around him often because no one really cared, but he was really, like, in a scene, if something funny was going to happen, it was either going to be Abed or Chevy Chase. Yeah. <laughs> and there was, so basically, he was in community. He was, like, the newer version of Archie Bunker. Yeah, basically, yeah. a little bit, a little bit more regulated. Yeah, a little bit, but I mean, he was still pretty racist in that show. Yeah, yeah. well, that was still you could still kind of get away with some yeah. stuff, but see, I mean, for me, like to talk about it all day, but you know, we don't have that kind of time. So um, that's you know, Kevin Smith again. I love all the other directors, and we'll talk more about them as well. But that's I'd say that's for me. What about you, Mister Gavin? Um, I would definitely have to say from from my end is uh, Mel Brooks. 
um, you know, going on a less serious, more funny side. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also going back to the, you know, the racist humor that you could get away with. I mean, Mm. you take a look at Blazing Saddles or or, um, History of the World Part 1. They never would have been able to make those today. No. Never. With the jokes that they tell in there to make it funny. And even even Mel Brooks has has come out recently and said (laughs) that the the not so much like the cancel culture, but the PC culture that we have in America today will be the death of comedy. You will not have any kind of, I mean, the purpose of comedy is to take something that isn't funny and make it, Mm. make the levity about it, because Mm. then you can actually have a civilized conversation behind it instead of, no, it's my opinion versus your opinion and you're an asshole and I'm going to fucking murder you. (laughs) It's like, well, that's very opinionated. <laughs> well, let's say, let's say a quick side note, but it's the same thing with like uh, like comedians now. Like they did the thing, you know, they were going around and they said, it's like you can't say anything anymore. Yeah. So, but that's a quick side note of that, but back. Mr. Yeah. Mel Brooks. A, I, I, uh, I, I, I saw this meme one time. It was like t- talking about, you know, I'm out here trying to go through this PC culture and not saying anything. It's like I'm going through, a, uh, you know, a, the laser beam uh, vault. Um, securing technology and then it comes in right behind it it's like hey I had a parent that died in a horrible vault laser accident so you can't talk about it alright jeez but yeah this this his just uh, the delivery of humor that he put in a lot of his a lot of his movies was you know most of it was you weren't even looking for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, um, you go back to history of the world when he's coming down as as Moses, and everyone's like, "No, he's going to make a religious joke." At least fifteen, <laughs> ten commandments. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, or also like towards the end of the movie where they're trying to escape the Romans, he's over at the edge and he ends up putting his hands up. Yeah, and, the, and, and, the, the, and it's and it's parting the the river, but it goes back and he's getting robbed. Yeah, he's <laughs> It's like, oh, what is the world coming to? <laughs> and they're like, wow, thank that man. <laughs> um, I mean, and, you know, also through there, you know, they made fun of the French Revolution. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think they hit on basically everything yeah. you, can, you can make fun of in that movie. <laughs> and then in the name of the people of France, France, France. <laughs> I still remember the quote. Um, he, Mel Brooks goes up to like register himself, and it's B. Arthur. And she's like, "What do you do for a thing?" He's like, "I'm a philosopher. You're a bullshit artist." Yeah. No, no, no. I go around you know, telling people philosophy, teaching them, making the world a better. You're a professional bullshit artist, <laughs> and that's what she writes down. <laughs> Did you bullshit today? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. Are you going to bullshit tomorrow? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that was that was awesome. <laughs> and then um and then you you go to um cut into Robin Hood Men in Tights. Mm-hmm. Who would have uh, expected like if you were in a, Mel Brooks has a new movie, we're just going to watch it, it's going to be hilarious. It's a goddamn musical. Yes. <laughs> Who would have predicted that? <laughs> And it has rap in it, man. Yeah, it's a really good musical. Don't get me wrong. I love the movie. But who expected that movie to be a musical? We are men. You know, you're going to be a really good tights. man to wear tights. <laughs> Manly men. Tight tights. Wasn't it uh, Richard Lewis that was the, the sheriff? 
Yes. yes. Richard Lewis was the sheriff. Um, the I can't remember uh, who the witch was, but she was the one trying to get him. She had like the life-size cutout of him yeah. in her boudoir. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and she's waiting. It's like, she's praising, Lord, if you could just please send me my man. And then he gets thrown in from the catapult. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure it's not the first time it's ever happened, but it's the first time I can remember a movie breaking the fourth wall. When he loses the archery contest, he's like, I lost. I lost. That's oh. not supposed to happen. And, and he goes to the, the script. script. He's like, no, I get another shot. He gets another <laughs> shot. And then he splits his arrow in twain. With, <laughs> with, with the Patriot arrow. Yes. <laughs> the most high-tech uh, military device at that time outside of the, the atom bomb. <laughs> So, yeah, you have you have that, and then even in the fight scene, like uh, when they're fighting in the castle, the sword fight, they go off screen, and mm-hmm. he like stabs through him, and he ends up stabbing a guy's like the sound guy. Yeah, he, the he's holding the boots. He's like ah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have their their uh, shadows fighting, and then they're walking off. <laughs> yeah, they got like towels around their neck, yes. holding water and stuff. <laughs> like, whoo, man, that's like a break. <laughs> Like I said, I'm sure it's not the first movie to ever break the fourth wall, but it's the first one I remember, and they did it so well. Like oh, you yeah. said, with the shadow fights. <laughs> well, even uh, even Blazing Saddles did the exact same thing. Oh, really? Because at the very end of it, there's like the massive there's a massive fight, and it's across the entire studio. So <laughs> like they break out of the set of uh, of um, Blazing Saddles, and then like go into the cafeteria, and so there's people in there from like World War II movies, and then you've got nurses, and there's like all these other people just start fighting in the cafeteria. <laughs> I remember that. That was at the very end. Right? Yeah, that's at the yeah. very end. Like he, they fight across the entire studio filming lot, <laughs> and then he still references, you know, because Dave Chappelle is in um, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yep. And the, the, the blinking, you know, yeah. the, the, the blind, um, the blind vizier or what, whatever servant, his, whatever. servant yeah. whatever his title was, it's, it's like, I'm going to make you, uh, the, <laughs> the sheriff, achoo. <laughs> <laughs> well, a black sheriff? He's black? <laughs> so why not? Worked in blazing saddles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I can remember from blazing saddles is, um. He's talking with the sheriff, and he's like, look at this hand. He's like, Solid as a rock. You don't want to shoot with this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Little bastard shot me in the ass. He's playing chess with Gene Wilder. What, what, the story about it. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that he's, he's the, or Mel Brooks is actually the governor, mm-hmm. and he's trying to have the meeting. He's like, I didn't get a harrup out of that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he's trying to do the, the ball on the, uh, the paddle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he keeps... Missing it, he's like, "Mine's broken." And then the guy beside him just gets it and is going, "Dink, dink, dink, dink." He <laughs> takes the ball and breaks it. <laughs> but pass these out. <laughs> hey, I didn't get a harump out of that guy. <laughs> but uh, I just loved his, um, the, you know, uh, Dracula dead and loving it. Mm-hmm. Young Frankenstein. Oh, my favorite. Uh, probably. I'm gonna make you cry, Tony. It's the only Mel Brooks film I haven't seen. Take my heart medication again. Have, have you seen Get Smart? Of course I've seen uh, Get Smart. That is that is beautiful. The show or the movie? Uh, the the movie that Mel Brooks redid. Oh, the, the one with... Um, Steve Carell. Yes. And The Rock. Yes. I've seen that movie. That was really funny. Yes. 
But I've also seen the show, because when I was a kid, I was allowed to watch a little mm-hmm. Nick at Night, and they would have the original mm-hmm. Get Smart on there. And and I, they hit a lot of that on, they, you know, made it modernized. Yeah. But they hit a lot of the stuff that they did from like, it, like the Steve bubble. Like, had to go into, like, the archives, and he found the old shoe phone. Yeah, he's like, yeah. this is worthless, or something mm-hmm. like that. And so he's end up talking on the shoe phone <laughs> yep. in, the, in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and then they have the cone of silence that they had, yes. but it was, like, lasers, and they couldn't hear each other. <laughs> <laughs> I I, um, I really like that, and then they, you know, Steve Carell, uh, spoiler alert, gets to kiss the Rock. <laughs> and he's also the bad guy. So one, of the yeah. few, one of the few times the Rock is the bad guy. Well, minus Doom. Uh, so one of the few, not the only. Touche. <laughs> and then I think probably from that one, one of my favorite scenes is when they're driving through the uh, the golf course. Um, or the driving range, <laughs> oh. and they just getting golf balls hit at them at the uh, the sedan, mm-hmm. and then the, so the FBI guy comes on and is like, "Hey, you better not get a scratch on my car." And then you start hearing tink tink. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, we've got to go. And he hangs up, <laughs> and then they drive through the swordfish. Like the whole time, Steve Carell's trying to connect to his boss, <laughs> and he's like. Oh, I'm sorry. Were you feeling what I was feeling? He's like, I don't know. You thinking, oh my God, oh my God, a swordfish almost went to my face? <laughs> if so, then yes. <laughs> I don't know. What <laughs> but uh, there's just a whole lot of comedy gold that came out through through his movies. And um, oddly enough, his one of his mentors was Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. And they were, they were huge friends. And I mm-hmm. uh, remember him, there was like an interview he was talking about going to... Um, he was, I think he was pitching Hitchcock silent movie that he yep. was going to do and yep. trying to get his, his take on it. And they go to this restaurant and like, they just keep bringing out food. So like he brings out this one course and it's like duck or whatever. And then they bring out something else and then they bring out this lobster. And at the end he's like, I am over here just stuffed to the gills, you know? Um, and then Hitchcock, you know, he says, all right, well, we'll, we'll get the brandy out and cigars. <laughs> and they, he's like, you can pitch me what, you know, what you're doing here and then he comes back and after the pitch he's like all right well we're gonna run it back and he gets the waitress back and they're like we're gonna run that again <laughs> and mel brooks is like please no he's <laughs> like i have nowhere to put oh man. he was <laughs> but the good thing he was like you know i didn't have to pay for it so i didn't mind <laughs> well it's a quick side about mel brooks though one of his i mean Every movie he's done is this. I would, I would, for my money, I would call them all iconic. <clears throat> that's up for opinion, but that's what I would consider it. But what I loved about one of his movies is that till still to this day, it's well, it's been remade a couple different times into film, and it's been so many versions of it done on Broadway as the producers. Yep. So he did that original movie with uh, I can't remember the other guy's name. No, that's that's the no, remake. The original. Okay. I haven't seen the original. I'm not surprised was, by that. It was in the seventies, was it? Early 70s? earlier than that, I think. Oh, it might okay. it might have been seventies, but it was Marty Feldman was in it. Okay. Um, at one point, so Igor. Well, he was um he was trying to cast uh, Dustin Hoffman in, as the lead, and he ended up getting another, uh, yeah. at least in the Broadway uh, yeah. depiction of it. Yeah, but I mean, so and he did, ended up having another project to do. I remember yeah. that. And he got so, and I can't remember the other gentleman's name, but he was the one that basically, you know, played the uh, the actual the the, the original producer, um, uh, Max Bialystok. Bialystok. Mm-hmm. Um, so Marty Feldman was in it, but there's it, it, but it's a really good movie. But taking that, you know, something of body work that he does like that, 
excuse me, and then it becoming remade in Broadway from then on throughout. They the ran for like ten years. Didn't yeah, they? I mean, I think it wasn't even still, off Broadway. It was <clears throat> on Broadway mm-hmm. for like ten some odd years. Yeah, no, that's my point on it. It's like you know, you do something like that, and it's it becomes a massive success, like yeah. this big huge thing, and that that's kind of a testament to to him. To, to his ability to, to write and, and direct and stuff like that. So I just wanted to add that little side note of Mr. Mel Brooks there. Yeah, and uh, recent discovery, being, you know, prior to my research, just make sure I hit on the, all, <coughs> all the points. His film studio did The Elephant Man and The Fly, which I had no idea I of. had no idea about that. <laughs> no. And they were exceptional movies. Too. Yes. So it's not like he's throwing his name behind garbage. Junk. Yeah, exactly. And that was like what he said he wanted to do is like have these characters that were, you know, not mainstream, but still had, you know, they were oddball characters, mm-hmm. but still had, you know, ties mm. to hum- humanity on it. And I know yep. the Elephant Man won Oscars. Yes. So he's got a piece of that coming to him. Well, he had, that came out like the early 80s, I think. I don't think he's really hurting right now. <laughs> oh, no. Like, if they no. say, hey, we can't give you any more money from this one, he's like, he's like geez. I, I mean, my car and, and part, of the, <laughs> part of the reason of him not doing anything recently has been, like, the PC culture. He's, he doesn't want to put his name behind something that he can't bring his own style of humor to. Yeah. And that's, that's a shame because you get somebody that, that season, that experience with that much, uh, you know, that, that much body of work behind him and, and, and appreciate it, like. It's sad because you'd be like, if each went to Hollywood right now and said, hey, guys, I want to do this. And they said, you know, no, we can't do that. It's it's just not the world we're living in anymore. But they go turn around and they love his other movies. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of hypocritical. But it's it's kind of sad that you'd be like, but it's Mel Brooks. Like, that's something you should be like, all right, guys, we get it. Maybe we need to be a little PC, but it's Mel Brooks. Yeah. yeah. Come on, man. Bring it in a little, but let Mel Brooks be Mel Brooks. <laughs> right. Especially because he's also way up there in age now. I yeah. mean, it's like if yeah. he said, hey, I really want to do this one more thing, give the guy that. Yeah. Well, let him do it. And you know what? Here's the thing, world, and I may get a lot of flack for this. If you don't want to see it, just don't watch don't it. Don't go. It's that simple. You know? I'm locking the comments on this one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that that's kind of my take on it with, with Mel Brooks. But I'm a big fan. Obviously, like I said, Young Frankenstein is my favorite movie, so... Um, I loved all of them, but that was like literally my favorite one. I could watch that. Spaceballs is my favorite. No, it's, it's, yeah. it's well up there. I mean, all of them are up there, but yeah. that's just like, for me, that would be the one. Yeah. I, oddly enough, I think, um, I want to say Robin Hood Men in Tights was my first introduction to mm-hmm. Mel Brooks. And then from there, uh, my dad was like, well, you like this. We're watching Blazing Saddles next. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we um, we talked about it a little bit, but I used, when I was a kid, I would get Star Wars and Spaceballs confused because Darth Helmet or Dark Helmet looked like Darth mm-hmm. Vader. And my mom would just like, ooh, the helmet guy's on. And I would just go watch it and it would always be Spaceballs. It was never <laughs> Star Wars. It was always Spaceballs. And TBS, you piece of shit broadcasting <laughs> helmet. <laughs> Show Star Wars. <laughs> and, and even like... He even makes fun of, in Spaceballs, he makes fun of how, like, taking an idea and a concept and just putting it on everything mm. <laughs> is what, like, we've we've evolved to, in, especially oh, yeah. in the movie industry. Merchandising. Merchandising. <laughs> Spaceballs the lunchbox. Spaceballs the flamethrower. Yes. Spaceballs the mudflap. <laughs> the kids love this one. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite. What are we watching? We're watching now. <laughs> when will now be then? Can't. Soon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go back to then. We can't. Why? It just we, happened. 
When? Now. <laughs> so many great one-lines in that one, too. Or mm-hmm. conversations in general. It's like, I like that. He's like, I'm barf. I'm a mog. Half man, half dog. I'm my own best friend. <laughs> <laughs> one, two, three, four, five. Someone changed the code of my luggage, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> he gets beamed in backwards. Why didn't someone tell me my ass was so big? You <laughs> start scratching it. I just walk. <laughs> And it's like three feet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Scotty beat me twice last night. <laughs> yeah. Raspberry. Only he, one man dares give me the raspberry. He gets the call in his bathroom wall. He's like, why are you calling me on this wall? This is an unlisted wall. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, ending, though, when after the, the giant maid yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. And the head falls off and it lands and it's like... The space balls. Oh, oh shit. There, there <laughs> goes the planet. Yeah. <laughs> it's the planet of the apes. <laughs> yeah, they all come out of her nose. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a rope and it's like a booger. Yeah. <laughs> They're like sitting there chanting, suck, suck, suck. <laughs> so I think, and also one of the best parts about that movie, and it's such a small thing, but they play the space balls theme. As the movie's still going, like yeah. when the, when the self destruct is going mm-hmm. on, <laughs> I like when they're combing the desert. Like, you guys found anything? No, not yet, sir. You? No. You? We ain't found shit. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> and they're using a pick. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! But then when the self destruct is going up, and they're all stuck on there, and they're like, "She's like, why'd you skip seven? <laughs> like you skipped sorry. The- <laughs> sorry. And then then it's about to explode. She's like, "Goodbye." Thank you. Yeah. Have a nice day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have a nice day. Yeah. Have a nice day. Thank you. <laughs> Douche. <laughs> She's gone from suck to blow. <laughs> okay, I think this episode has devolved into just space balls at this point. <laughs> We're just going to quote it line for line. Well, Patrick, uh, how, about, how about yourself? Um, so, I'm not well-versed in directors like you or Tony, and you stole a really good one. Dick. <laughs> um, there are two that really come to mind. One is Roland Emmerich, who directed Stargate. Shocker, mm-hmm. I have a tattoo of Stargate, so it's kind of a favorite movie of mine. No! <laughs> and I actually know who directed it. <laughs> Tony didn't watch it until he was 34. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now and, I know how you felt. Yes, <laughs> and the game is afoot. <laughs> um, well played. <laughs> And then I was trying to think of movies that I've seen, if I could remember the director. And obviously, like, Steven Spielberg came to mind, and Oliver Stone came to mind. And then there were three movies that I really remember. One was um, Escape from New York. It was the inspiration for one of my favorite video games. I love that movie. Then was um, They Live, which is a great sci-fi movie. And then there was The Thing, the only horror movie that I genuinely enjoy watching outside of, like, Two scenes. <laughs> well, fun fact about all three of those movies, they have one thing in common. John Carpenter. Yep. So I have to give the nod that he might be my favorite director. And of course, That's I like right. George Lucas. Great. He does Star Wars. Um, I like um, the John Wick director. Um, he did, like I said, in, I think in our first podcast, they saw the script and John Wick killed four people. And they're like, mm, we can ramp that up a little bit. <laughs> and I just like the way that guy thinks. <laughs> We're going to 88. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, Escape from New York, Escape from L.A., they are fantastic movies. Um, the Thing, um, 
we were talking about this on our last episode, it, the way it was filmed and directed, written and acted, mm-hmm. you didn't have to see the monster to feel the tension and the mm-hmm. fear. But, and that, I don't know if all the credit to him, obviously Kevin Costner gets some of it, the writing gets some of it, but I mean, it was his mind that brought that to life. Mm-hmm. So he gets a lot of the credit. Yep. John Carpenter also did Halloween, and that's why in both Halloween, the guy that played Dr. Loomis, mm-hmm. uh, Pleasance, something, uh, Donald Pleasance, he's also an escape from New York. Is he? Yep. I mean, it's been years since I've watched it. I just know I, I've watched that movie like 50 times. I love that movie. And it's actually, um, there was a movie that came out with, I can't remember, but like the president's daughter goes to a space jail and then gets kidnapped and they have to send in a former military person to rescue her. It's actually such a blatant ripoff of Escape from um, L.A. LA. Mm-hmm. John Carpenter sued them and won. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a blatant ripoff. And it was even like a really bad movie. Yeah. Like if it was a good movie, he might have been like, yeah, good on you. I like it. But this was a shit movie. Like it was <laughs> awful. <laughs> I can't even remember who the main actor was, but I know the president's daughter was played by what the tall blonde from Lost. I can't remember her name at the moment. I didn't really watch Lost, so I'm not sure. I didn't get into it until the last <laughs> season, and then I watched uh, the, a couple of... The main character was the uh, lead builder, villain, Audrey Killian, in uh, Iron Man 3. No. Oh. In Lost? No, no, the and, um, in your movie. Oh. That's the lead, the main guy. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And I cannot remember the name of that movie to save my life right now. Anyone on Amazon? <laughs> <laughs> Checking it. <laughs> so if you're ever watching a movie and the president's daughter gets kidnapped while she's visiting space prison and they send in somebody to go rescue her, that's the movie I'm talking about. Oh, nice. <laughs> but it's such, like I said, it's a blatant ripoff of Escape from L.A. Yeah. And John Carpenter won that lawsuit, like, for a lot of money, like, a few million. That's, that's well played. I mean, yeah. literally, but it's, and that's the hard thing with the with movies is, like, um, one thing I do know about them, like, when you're writing a script and you send it in W, you know, the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, um, when you do that and someone else does a movie just like yours, it's very hard to sue, it, sue period, <clears throat> because you can copyright something, mm-hmm. but you can't copyright and an idea mm. you know you can copyright a script so if someone just took your script and changed the name but it's word for word they can look that up that you yeah. can do but you can't really copyright an idea or a thought yeah or you know or something where you can sue somebody so that is actually impressive that he won that because yeah. it is like i mean you take how many movies out there are very similar to each other you know there's a lot yeah, and basically the same idea, like you get Armageddon and Deep Impact and stuff like that. You know, it's like the movie is called Lockout with Guy Pierce. Okay, and yeah, he, freaking Guy Pierce. He won the plagiarism case against that movie. So that was my point, though. It's yeah. like that's that's really impressive that he got away with it because it's very very hard to do that. Like, and, and well, you've seen Escape from L.A. Oh yeah, I wasn't oh. a fan of it. I, I liked Escape from New York. Oh, they're both <laughs> great films in my opinion. Yeah, but go watch. It's, this is your homework. Go watch Escape from L.A. and immediately watch Lockout. Like, it's almost, like, verbatim. Oh, I remember L.A. I've seen it many times. Oh, so I remember it. I, I don't need to rewind. I mean, I could, but I'll just watch that one. Then. Watch Lockout. Lockout. Dun, dun, yeah, dun, dun, you'll dun. be locked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> what? 
<laughs> I'm now your host, Patrick Waltz. I'm even no longer here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But so, um, who, in your guys' opinion, now I'm not talking about our favorite. Who do you guys feel has probably one of the largest bodies of work or well-known work out there? It's got to be Spielberg. Um, yeah, that's the first name that comes to mind. Yeah. I think it is. Yeah, it's got to be Spielberg. Okay. I mean, he's he's definitely up there. I mean, a lot of people a lot of people think George Lucas, but George Lucas really hasn't done that no. much. No, he did Star, yeah. Wars, Star Wars, Indiana movies, Jones, and yep. three Indiana Jones. Yeah, and he did a couple movies when he was younger, when he was still in college. Uh, yeah. THX nine thousand, mm-hmm. I believe it was called, and that's actually where the THX sound system, the idea for that name came from. Because ah. I believe it was when he, I think I'm not 100% on this, but I believe at Lucas Studio, when before it was Skywalker Ranch, when he was just doing his stuff, he started to, you know, he had his sound uh, design department, and they were creating that. I believe that's, it, it was their creation, if I remember correctly, but oh, I'm not cool. 100% on it, but I know that's where the name came from. Well, I mean, how else do you make it? <laughs> sound yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I, I, think, I mean he's up there i mean there's just there's a lot of really good ones out there i mean you know stanley kubrick stanley kubrick uh james cameron mm-hmm. uh ridley scott yep i mean so i but i, I do agree as far as like well i, I think there's also Spiel- a problem it, it may be a problem with just me <laughs> i can't speak for you two but when, like, say Spielberg gets attached to a movie, they're like, from the mind of Steven Spielberg. And yeah. you may think, oh, he's directing it when he's just, like, an executive producer yeah. or something <laughs> like that. So when we look up, the, when we think of Steven Spielberg movies or mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick movies, we're thinking of everything we remember they're attached to. Yeah. Not that they were an actual exactly. director. Yeah. Well, the funny thing, too, that's what, like, with Back to the Future, when they were trying to get that made, um, there, there was a documentary, Shocker, mm-hmm. um, Called I believe it's called Back in Time, and they'd go through the whole thing. And Spielberg, if you remember, that was Robert Zemeckis is, was a director on that. Mm. But at the very beginning of it, it has Steven Spielberg's name in there. Mm. But him and Robert Zemeckis were working on projects together, or trying to work on something. And then Robert Zemeckis kind of wanted to veer off and kind of do something on his own. Didn't want to really be in the shadow, so mm. to speak, um, or to that point. But then he needed Spielberg's help, and then he wanted to reconnect with him so they could make it. Um, I don't know if it was a studio thing where they said, well, if you can get Spielberg back involved with it, whether it's just he's EPing it, you know, exec producing it or a producer, whatever it may be, or just a creative interest, um, you know, we'll do it. So <clears throat> he got him back in. But if you look, that's his name, I believe, is the first thing that comes up. Right. Uh, but it's not. From Sp- Steven Spielberg or yeah. something like that. Yeah, but, and it confused a lot of people when they're like, Steven Spielberg, but it, then it says a Robert Zemeckis film. And at the very beginning, like any big movie person that actually paid attention to the credits, um, mm-hmm. they were, it just confused them. Uh, but so, yeah, to that point, yeah, anything that gets mm-hmm. attached or has his name is on, I mean, it's just, that's what it's going to be. Yeah. It's going to be Spielberg's regardless. Yeah. Uh, I do agree, though, like I said, I think in terms of what people know. Like you, and it's become the iconic saying when people like are going to direct. Oh, he's going to be the next Spielberg. Yeah. Nobody says any other director's name. Yeah. So I give him credit for that, and I think it's great. But I think also there are so many other big directors out there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're absolutely great directors. Oh yeah. Kevin Smith, Mel Brooks, Stanley Kubrick, Oliver Stone, John Favreau. Yeah. John Favreau. I mean, even if you take the the more indie guys that were kind of linked with Kevin Smith, like your Quentin Tarantino and your Robert Rodriguez, and mm-hmm. you know those are the indie guys. But uh, I mean, there's, there's I, just a lot. I refuse to believe that Quentin Tarantino is still an indie filmmaker. 
Well, that's what, so he still does indie stuff. Yeah. He he will always consider himself that way because that's so those so guys, Universal cuts him a two hundred million dollar check. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> no, he is. Don't get me wrong. He is a big director. I would say like, but those guys who started out doing that stuff, they always revert back to it at some point or another because that's when they, at least in interviews that I've and, and biographies I've read about this stuff is. That's when they really had fun with it. Mm. Nobody else controlled them. They didn't have a studio saying, no, you can't do this, or we want to add this for, the, for merchandising, or mm. because it's going to uh, adhere to this crowd. And, you know, some, you know, I mean, that a- is totally fair because I think one of Tarantino's <laughs> best directing is from Four Rooms. He didn't make, he didn't direct the movie, he directed the one scene, yeah. and it was beautifully done. Mm-hmm. You haven't seen that movie yet. No. You're dead. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, you could skip the first room, room with Selma Hayek. You can yeah. see her boobs. You see some other blonde girls. <laughs> but oh, we didn't Sad. mention. And, yeah, and we it, all were. <laughs> <laughs> well, one one uh, incredible director we didn't mention yet, and I know it's not it's a different genre. Or he's very genre specific. Is Martin Scorsese? Mm. I mean, as far as huge fucking directors. I mean, he's... But obviously, he sticks mainly with mob-type yeah, stuff, but yeah. I mean... He did The Godfather, right? No. No, that was... Um, uh, oh, my God. Uh, Mark... Who did... I can't remember off the top of my head who did that, but it was based off the book from Mario... something or other, uh, but I can't remember who directed that one. Folks, if you're hearing typing... If you hear some typing or some dead Francis air... Francis Ford Coppola. Francis... That, I, yeah, because his daughter was in the third one that's right do you have your heart medication on you <laughs> you haven't seen it i haven't i have not seen the godfather if, uh, well and my entire family says i would love that movie if but, you if you see the godfather godfather 2 in my opinion is actually better hmm. i know we're gonna veer a little bit off the director thing but it's just it's it, it, it in my opinion i mean the first one will always be great and probably the best because it started it <clears throat> The second one just became a little more interesting. Got a lot of backstory when he was younger. That's where Robert De Niro was in that one. He plays the younger um, uh, Vito Corleone. Mm. Um, so I like how you're saying that name. Like I would know who that is. Well, that's the Godfather. He's the that original, was the, that was the original Godfather. And then Michael Al Corleone Pacino takes over. Yeah, gotcha. and that's Michael Corleone. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, but if you were to say to me, I didn't see the third one, I probably wouldn't be that upset with you because the third one was not. Great. If you're if you're gonna say you saw the trilogy, you have to watch it. Mm. But I really just can't get into it that much. But you know, so Francis Ford Coppola, he was around for a while. He did a lot of big movies. Um, on the opposite end of things, talking about the worst director, there was a director back years and years and years ago. I think like in the fifties, called Ed Wood. They actually made a movie about it with Johnny Depp playing Ed Wood. And he is. It known, sounds so familiar. I know I haven't seen it, but I know I've heard it's, the name. It's the movie's done in black and white because that's when he was in time doing movies. Um, but he's known as like the director that made the worst movies ever. And I don't know how he did it because he kept. Ma- I mean, I know how you make a shitty movie and just make it bad. <laughs> but um, let me teach you. Yeah, but I don't. I don't know how he kept making one after another. But he was always able to still get funding and actors yeah. and stuff. And. Uh, um, uh, I can't remember the actor, but he always had one main actor that he would. Keep on having in his movies. So Michael Caine. No, it was Michael Caine. Um, but he was known as like, and I think there was, was like something from Escape from Planet Nine or something was the last movie he did or something along those Leslie lines. Leslie Nielsen. <clears throat> no, no, no. I may be saying it wrong, but if you look up, can you look up at Wood yeah. real quick? Uh, but 
he he would like steal props from places like a very guerrilla filmmaker. You know, they needed an octopus in a scene, so there's this stuffed octopus as a prop in this one. They break into the studio and steal this octopus for a little bit, and <laughs> I mean, it was just it's very bad filmmaking. But um, there's a reason why this sentence exists, I guess. He moved towards sexploitation and pornographic films in the eighties. Yeah, later mm-hmm. on he did. Yeah, well, he couldn't he couldn't make legitimate films anymore. Like eventually, people wouldn't iron. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. He couldn't, well, he couldn't make work or fund them at least. Like it, he was more kind of like an indie. He would get money from the studios or whoever, but and then go back and make something terrible. And he would make <laughs> horrible movies. Yes, but he is. I think he's. It's known as he is like one of the the directors that made some of the worst movies. In well, in 1965, cinema. before he moved over to Pornland, he did a movie called Orgy of the Dead. Yeah, kind of want to see it. <laughs> is it. Is it right along the lines of Human Centipede? Oh, God. No, this would have been way before that time. Originally titled Nudie Ghoulies. Yep. <laughs> so that gives you a little idea as to who Ed Wood was like. But there is, the, like I said, Johnny Depp plays Ed Wood in the movie. Okay. I think it came out in, in the 90s. Uh, but it's worth watching because he does does play a good character in it. But did you find that one I was talking about? Something about Planet Nine or what? Yes. Um, that movie is... Where'd it go? I literally... Um, Plan 9 from Outer Space. Plan 9 from Outer Space. That's what it was. But, uh, so, I mean, if we, you know, I just want to talk on the other end of the spectrum. It's like just bad movies or bad directors, but he had, his heart was in the right place. Like, he really wanted to make good cinema. Yeah, but he yeah. couldn't spell planet. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, and um, we have reached a new low. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that. That dude couldn't spell. No wonder he failed as a filmmaker. <laughs> but he he was a great talker though. Like he could get he could just sell them, mm-hmm. no matter what. Like oh come and see my movie or you should be in my movie and we're writing a script and we're rewriting and you know he had he was a little odd he had he had his quirks but uh, overall really good bad director. <laughs> <laughs> I think all of them have to be. Yeah. Uh, uh, then you've got you know the. The child star turned director, Mr. Ron Howard, mm-hmm. yep. who came out and made you know several blockbuster movies too, and Arrested Development. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's another good example, like Ron yeah. Howard. I, I, I mean, he went on to do well. He did like Splash and stuff. Mm-hmm. He did a uh, uh, Night Shift. And Apollo his thirteen was his. Apollo thirteen. Mm-hmm. Yep. So basically, he Tom Hanks made a joke about that. He said like every so many years is when he does a Ron Howard movie. Because, <laughs> like, I think he did, like, the he Da Vinci Code. 13. He did he Apollo did Da Vinci 13. Code, yep. Um, but there was another couple, and he's like, every time Ron Howard would call me, he's like, but it would be, like, every five or so years. He's like, yeah. Was- <laughs> did Ron Howard direct Sully? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Did he? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Fact I, would check. Be, I would not be surprised if you said yes, he did. <laughs> yeah, a movie I haven't seen, but I do know that Tom Hanks is in it. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a decent movie. I, I like you know you know what it's about. It's about yeah, it's they the landed guy in who, Hudson. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this big investigation. The best part about it, spoiler. Best part. Are you planning on watching? You are not going to believe the answer to who directed Sully. Um, I'm going to let you guess. I don't give you a hint. It's not Ron Howard. Okay. Um, not Martin Scorsese. No, but he is a big name in the film industry, and he has directed before. John and, Carpenter. No. <laughs> <laughs> He's um, about the same age as John Carpenter at this point. Is he? Uh, I I don't know Ridley Scott. I don't know. Clint Eastwood. 
We didn't All even right. think about Clint no. Eastwood as a director. No, we did I've not. always thought about him as an actor, but great director. Well, he's only directed like what three, maybe four movies. No, he's done some more. I mean, he didn't he direct Gran Torino that he yep. also starred in. Yeah, mm-hmm. didn't he do um, Million Dollar Baby? He did Million Dollar Baby. He also did the uh, the Chris Kyle story. Um, yeah. What was the name of that? that American one. Shooter. Okay. It's it's about the the most deadliest sniper in American history. The the guy who went over to Afghanistan. And just oh yeah, um, that starred um, Bradley Cooper. Thank you. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, w- which was him getting permission to do that. They, mm-hmm. him and Bradley Cooper, went to go visit Chris Kyle's. Um, I, I think I'm saying his name right, Chris. Kyle. Chris Kyle. Yeah. Um, and went to go visit his father to get permission, basically, to do it. And they they did some of it. Uh, uh, or quite a bit of it off of the book that he had wrote mm. um, outside after his tour, and mm. he said, "He said, don't you make my son look like a pussy." <laughs> <laughs> Bradley Cooper had to put on like fifty pounds for that role. Yes, because uh, Chris Kyle was up. yeah, Chris mm. Kyle was not like a small dude. No, no, he was he was a massive man. But also, like you think a guy like that would be on the front lines with an M sixteen and a sidearm, but no, he was one of the, like you said one of the best snipers ever. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the scenes in there, it, they don't really even touch on it in the movie, but it's one where he's, um, oh, well, so the very first scene that where you show, it shows him in action, he has to, spoiler mm-hmm. alert, he has mm-hmm. to take out a, a young boy and then his mother, mm-hmm. who are running at uh, a convoy of Marines with an IUD, uh, well, an IED in mm-hmm. their hand. And what the what the movie doesn't tell you is that was his one and two kill of his entire life. Oh wow! He shot a young boy and a woman who were trying to kill Marines. Oh. <laughs> no wonder he killed himself. Uh, <laughs> he didn't kill himself. Oh, I thought no. He no, had like massive PTSD. He did, <laughs> but the way he coped with it was teaching people how to shoot. And a Marine, an ex-Marine, killed him on the ranch. Oh, I did not know that. <clears throat> Kind of reminds me of a just to make a side joke here, but it went, like in Howard Howard Stern Private Parts when he's talking about the I was in the I was in the army or I was in the Air Force or whatever. He's like, you know, I killed this and this and so many kids. He's like, you know, I think a kill should be a kill should be a kill. He's like, I think they should count little kids in there too. <laughs> and she's like, I guess they should count it if you killed them, even if they are kids, they still die. <laughs> Sorry, that correction. Sense? Now we have reached a new level. Yes. And we've lost all of our 18 followers. <laughs> yeah, you're literally looking at your phone watching the numbers drop. Yeah, I'm looking at the analytics. Spinning backwards. This is not going to be a good afternoon. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I think... Um, but yeah, Clint Eastwood. I didn't even think... I, I can't believe there's some of, the, some of these actors I don't even think about. Yeah. Or they start out as actors, become mm-hmm. great directors. Well, like Tom Hanks did a, a directing, too. Yes. Um, but I'm just... I mean, sure Je- uh, I John Favreau was... was uh, you know, Rudy. it was he was in Rudy. He was in um, mm-hmm. what's the other one with, uh, that he's in? Uh, was it uh, Swingers? Swingers. Yeah. Uh, yes, and then he uh, there was there's this beautiful meme that I love about him. It was like uh, John Favreau can do anything. Um, he takes he takes Will Ferrell and makes a Christmas classic. 
he takes <laughs> he takes a lesser known um, comic book character and creates the MCU, <laughs> <laughs> and then he and then he completely revives by, uh, the Star Wars franchise by creating the be- the best space western ever. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, I love Favreau now. <laughs> yeah, I want to change my answer to who's my favorite director. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But yeah, I think I'm trying. To, I know we're missing some. I, oh, we I'm, have off to. Off the top of my head, I'm like, normally I'm very good about this, but because we're talking about so many different people, I'm. I know we're missing some iconic ones. Let's try to figure this out because. Uh, uh, John Woo. Who? John, John Woo. Woo. Yes. Okay. Yep. yep. Yes. Um, well, we we've talked about him a couple times, but uh, still a niche. I feel director. Mm-hmm. You know, M Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Has. Yep. A very specific type of I'm going to mess with your brain oh, yeah. <laughs> type I, of filmmaking. Honestly, every now and again, I want to my mind to be yeah, fucked with, and I, I kind of want to see a movie like that, right? <laughs> but if I know if I'm walking into like directed by M. Not Shyamalan, I got to get my mind right. Like, okay, we're about to get you know fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not one of those. You're like, oh, you know, let's just just see this movie. No, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely go sober with... when I walk into right. that one because if I am anything else, <laughs> it is not going to be a good day. <laughs> that is a completely different date. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you got a couple other big ones too. Like uh, now, even though he does, and I'm going to talk about two people. Well, the first one I'm going to mention because he does like different types of movies. Would be Tim Burton, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and he's got a very large body work, a lot with animation and or, and Batman and, and Batman. And Batman. Well, he did Edward Scissorhands. So, like when you're talking he's about a weird like, dude, <laughs> when, when you talk about directors and they say things like, um, like you said that like he's going to mess with your head, like you know that type of director, but. Certain directors have a very specific look mm-hmm. and feel, like a cinemata- cinematography look. Like, mm-hmm. when you go into the movie, you know it's theirs. Like you say, that's a Tim Burton movie. Like, when you watch Beetlejuice, that's a Tim Burton movie, even mm-hmm. if you never have to see the title. You know? <laughs> um, Nightmare Before Christmas. Like, he always had that weird, like, everything inanimate had, like, an organic look to it. So, um, uh, yeah. Just piling, piling on a little bit about that. Uh, we were talking about this last week or whatever. You said you were rewatching the um, Evil Dead TV show on mm-hmm. Netflix. I can't remember what it's called. Ash vs. Evil, Evil Dead. Evil Dead. Yeah, I watched the first season or two. I can't remember, but the first episode is actually directed by Sam Raimi, who did the original movies, mm-hmm. and you could tell Sam Raimi did that episode. Yeah, like that has a very distinctive Sam yeah. Raimi feel. It's yeah, Sam Raimi. <laughs> And there's another director, yep. Sam Raimi. He did Spider-Man's and Evil Dead. <laughs> and Darkman. With Liam yes, Neeson. Yes, Darkman, Liam Wait, Neeson. Wasn't Darkman Alec Baldwin? No. No. That was Nightman. Not, Night, yes. 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 Darkman, Liam Neeson, where his face gets messed up. Yes. Uh, but back to my point. Yeah. <laughs> where was my point? Oh, yeah. That's... Um, back to the point that you were making yes. is that every director has a certain look. And you could always... Like you said, when you see the title screen, like, I know who directed this movie. Mm-hmm. Just like with uh, Tim Burton and Batman or Sam Raimi in the pilot episode that he never showed back up. Mm-hmm. Like, no, this is my IP and they're killing it. I'm never doing this again. <laughs> to be fair, I do like the show, but it's definitely not a Sam Raimi show. Yeah. Um, so that's the only point I wanted to bring up. Yeah. No, and, and, it's, and that's true. So, like, and even though these other directors are more in the horror genre, but you have, like, your Wes Cravens, mm-hmm. uh, George Romero. You know, he's the one who started the whole zombie thing when Night of the Living Dead, like, really started it. Um, Del Toro. Guillermo Del Toro. Yep. Yes. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then he also did uh, Hellboy 2. Yep. And you could almost see 
like the a same lot of thing. The, yeah, yep. a lot of the same like creature styles. Yep. going from from both of those movies. <laughs> so there, there's one director that, and again, he was he was an indie director. He made some bigger movies, but he again wanted to go back to indie film, so he sticks very much to that. Um, he's one director that you really can't tell. By the look, like maybe if you're listening to the dialogue, like a Kevin Smith movie, you can tell by the dialogue. So again, Kevin Smith doesn't really have a look either. But <laughs> I think what people get really confused about sometimes mm-hmm. is that the director was hired to bring this to life, but they didn't write the movie. So whenever great dialogue comes around or a great story comes around, the director, most of the time, I mean, there are directors who will write their own movie, mm-hmm. shoot it, and everything. But a lot of times, they're just hired. Like, here's a script. Please. Make movie, yeah. Like make look good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're giving you this to do the job, but that's, yeah. that's so. If, but a lot of people praise like, oh, Spielberg did a great job doing this. Sam Raimi did a fantastic job doing this, and like he did half of it. Like yeah. we need to give credit to the other people or discredit. J.J. Abrams throw another damn lens flare in this. Pre- <laughs> hey, he is sacred. <laughs> no, he isn't. He ruined Force Awakens. You ruined Force Awakens. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas, come. <laughs> But what I was going to say, though, is one director who's, it's hard to tell by the look, because he does stuff that's completely off the walls, like, different, like, Mm. totally, not off the walls, like, crazy, but just they're completely on different ends of the spectrum all the time, is Richard Linklater. And so he's the guy that did, like, Jason Confused. Uh, Yes, sir? I don't know who that is. You know who that is? No, I don't know who that is. Oh, okay, that's unsurprising. (laughs) So Jason Confused. Anyway, Gavin. (laughs) (laughs) But he did, uh, I mean, he's just done a pissed ton of stuff so you get days confused right mm-hmm. and he did there was a series with ethan hawk and i can't remember the actress's name i apologize but it was a trilogy it was called before sunrise before sunset and before midnight and it's like this love story thing days confused obviously was not a love story um no. or could have been maybe <laughs> um, but then he did it's a love story for drugs <laughs> did, you guys ever, did you guys ever see the movie scanner darkly I've heard it's, of it it's that weird one where it's like almost cartoonish but it's like all these actors like bruce willis is in it but it's like they live action shot it, but mm-hmm. then they filtered it with all this like weird stuff. So it almost so they up. did like the the cell shading on those yeah. to mm-hmm. make it look like a live comic. Yep. Okay. So he did that. And Wait, then that's looked, the one with Keanu Reeves. Yes. Yes. I, I've so, seen bits of it. So <laughs> that style. So you take Days Confused and you get a Scanner Darkly. It's the same director. Oh, okay. And he and he writes all this stuff too. And then he also, I mean, he's done just a ton of stuff. He did a movie with a uh, called Bernie, but he's like a big reason why Matthew McConaughey is where he's at. Like, he got him in a start, and uh, Ben Affleck, and... and uh, all right, all right, all right. right. <laughs> and he actually came up with that line himself. He's like, what are you going to say? He's like, he's supposed to just say all right. He's like, no, man. He's like, I'm going to say all right, all right, all right. And he's like, I like it. Keep doing it. But so to that point, though, Richard Linklater, he just was like, you watch one movie he does, and then you watch another one. And the reason why I like him a lot, too, is he had this final project. We've only got a couple minutes left, but you no, know, we'll give you guys some time here, but... He did this one movie called A Boy's Life, and it's got Ethan Hawke. And Ethan Hawke and him are like Matthew McConaughey. They usually do a lot of movies together. Um, so it's about this kid growing up, you know, from uh, when he's like, I don't know, maybe eight or nine until he's about to go to college. He literally used the same kid and all the same actors, and he shot it over 12 years. Oh, wow. So they would take like a year or two off, let him get a little older to whatever age, and it was actually the age the kid was supposed to be. So he was literally filming this, and Ethan Hawke stayed in it with all, and the whole crew did. And that's what it's called. So that was like the big shtick when he was trying to sell that idea. He's like, I'm literally going to film this for like 12 years or 10 years. It was something long like that. But mm-hmm. everybody was committed. That's what how good of a director he is or how loyal the people who work for him are. 
because Ethan Hawke knew him and he wanted just, he's like, if I had a choice right now, if he said, Hollywood's going to offer you millions of dollars and do this blockbuster, but Richard Linklater wants to do this, you got to choose. He's like, I'm going with Richard because he loves working with him. He's like, it's, it's, a, it's an easier, more, and, and he gets to be involved too. Like, yeah. He'll write it and then they kind of sit down and he's like, and then they'll rewrite it together. So okay. that was cool. just something I wanted to make an example of as far as like what we talked about, how similar looks. Also, you get another director who's like way up the chart. Yeah, like, <laughs> like you look at Scanner Darkly and you're like, did you just what? You just did, you just did <laughs> I, I remember things. Scanner Darkly, there was a giant cockroach with David Cross. Yes. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> but So we're, we're coming up close to time here, guys. Uh, we want to thank you guys for joining us, talking directors. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. For Movie Talks and Chill, we are your hosts. I'm Tony Serrato. I am Gavin Butts. And I am Patrick, who wants a drink wall. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll talk to you next time. Take care. Don't forget, guys, you can visit us at our website, movietalksandchill.com. Email us at talktous at movietalksandchill.com or find us on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can also follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Movie Talks and Chill. You can listen to us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, coming soon to Apple Podcasts, CastBox, and Overcast. New episodes available every Wednesday. Talk to you then. Theme music for our podcast was composed, arranged, and performed by Paul The Rock.